0: Good morning and a very warm welcome to morning worship here at Hillhead. Our minister, our minister Katrina's on holiday this week, so Brian is leading our worship and our guest preacher is the Reverend Dr Lena Andronovian. Nearly? Yeah. Lena <laughs> was recently appointed lecturer in practical theology at the Scottish Baptist College. She was born in Lithuania and was formerly lecturer and course lecturer of the Applied Theology Programme at the International Baptist Theological Seminary in Prague, where she also served more recently as Academic Dean. It's been great to have you worshipping with us, Lina, over the summer,
1: and we very much look forward to what you have to say to us.
2: Thanks, Alison. Good morning, everybody. Some words from 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Let us pray. Our Father God, we gather to worship you this morning because you have loved us. By gathering this morning, we have shown that we want to respond to that love in gratitude and hope. But we come here also acknowledging our many failures to love this week, the times when selfishness or pride has got in the way of our ability simply to love and to accept one another for who we are. Forgive us, we pray. And remind us again this morning what real love looks like. Your kind of love. A fearless love that sets no boundaries Imposes no conditions, demands no proof of worthiness or even a response. And so may we discover again this morning, gathered here in this community of your disciples, your image deep within us, no matter how distorted or how hidden. May we glimpse again how to love like you, so that we may be set free to live life in all its fullness, sharing that love with one another and with our needy world. Amen. now, uh, Alison has introduced Lena, and quite a few of you will have got to meet Lena uh, over the past few months as she's been coming here worshipping with us, and uh, you know that Lena has come to the west of Scotland from the European Baptist Seminary at Prague, but um, apart from these basic facts, where did you come from originally?
0: It's Lithuania, yep. which is one of the Baltic states, the, the one in the south, and I grew up on the shore of the sea. Well, not quite literally, but it was very close, the Baltic Sea. It's a, not such a big town called klaipeda at least not such a big town in Scottish standards, but it's a lovely place, um, a lovely place where people have experienced all kinds of upheavals during 20th century and indeed even in the 21st um,
2: and and uh, quite a lot, of, a lot of upheavals during your lifetime. Indeed,
0: indeed. Um, And
2: Can you say something about that?
0: Yeah, I, I grew up still during the... Well, when I was a small girl, uh, we still belonged to Soviet Union, although we knew very well that we were occupied. So that was something everybody knew, even if nobody could quite talk about it out loud. And, of course, for Christians... Evangelical Christians and all Christians. This was this was a difficult time. So I remember meeting in a in a little hut, and uh, sometimes being ready, you know, that our services might be interrupted. Um, I knew I had to be very careful in school. I didn't. I wouldn't say I personally experienced persecution, but I but I grew up with the knowledge that following Jesus can cost a lot. And my family, indeed, my grandma, grandpa, and my Mum and her two sisters were sent to Siberia, and that's where they had to grow up during Stalin's time. So I knew the cost. I grew up with that feeling that, you know, it's it's it might cost quite a lot if you say yes to God.
2: Do do do, do um. Everybody know where Lithuania is? It's okay if you don't. No, <laughs> but if you don't, uh, come and speak to Lena afterwards, and you can have a look at it in the map because it's sort of yeah. north and east of here. And it uh, be interesting to see exactly where you're from. And, um, so, but, but, um, you 're from, but you ended up going into theology and ministry, um, what, what, uh, very briefly, I mean, what called you into that? Oh,
0: well, obviously God, because yeah. that wasn't my idea of what I was going to do with life. It's you know how it is. When you look back, you realize one thing led to another, but yes, I was thinking I will earn my bread by being a translator, so I was interpreting, translating books and so on. And I thought, well, theology, perhaps I should do a little bit to to be of more help, you know, in the church and elsewhere. And the next thing I know, I was doing a degree in theology, the master's level, and yes. But it's been very good. But it's one of those surprises when you say, well, never, surely not me. Especially in Lithuania, where the evangelical community is very small, there are only seven Baptist churches and something like 321 members in the whole Baptist union. So...
2: Well, listen, we're delighted to have you welcome you to Scotland, to the Scottish Baptist College, and we know we'll get to know you more over the the coming months. But I think they're going to give us a little Lithuanian song just now? Yeah.
0: Um, This is a song, one of the few that has survived through the centuries. Again, because of all those upheavals, a lot has been lost. But this is one of the songs that comes from somewhere from 17th century, and my great grandma used to sing it. So I've translated it into English. I'm going to sing you one verse in Lithuanian so you get a bit of a feel of the language. It's a beautiful ancient language, really beautiful. Uh, but then in English. If you like it, we can do it some other time where yeah. all of us sing it.
2: Great. <clears throat> <clears throat>
3: Dances. See you, no dear. So
1: this morning is Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 to 20 Matthew 18 15 to 20 If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone If the member listens to you you have regained that one But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you And whatever you loose on earth will be loosened in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The second reading is Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 14. Romans thirteen, eight to 14. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, And any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is. How it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us live honourably as in the day, not in revelling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarrelling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires.
0: Love is an amazing subject. It is, as many would say, the very center of the Christian faith. God is love. And others know that we are disciples, as we sang this morning. They know that we are his disciples if and only if we love one another. And so we pray for love we sing of love and we reflect and we preach about love quite often. On the other hand, in my experience, sermons on love can be very irritating. I remember a friend of mine once was so beside herself after coming back from her church, and she said, I just cannot stand it any longer. Every Sunday, the preacher is waxing lyrical about this love and how we should be loving towards each other, and I just cannot stand it. I don't know if you've ever experienced or owned such feelings, but they usually arise out of frustration about the vagueness uh, with which such words are used what such love towards others should entail or worse when they are in direct contradiction to reality we are experiencing when there is no love and then we feel the pain we feel its absence and then talking about love in abstract feels like a bad bad joke And here we are with our passages for today. All of them about loving each other. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. All this is very well. But where do we start? We are given some hint already in Romans, in the passage that we've just heard read. The commandments of the First Testament the book with which Jesus grew up, are all aimed at this, says Paul. Loving God and loving one's neighbor, not coveting a brother's or sister's spouse, not stealing from him or her, and not murdering him or her. We can just perhaps manage. Well, one way to manage this is to live so far from each other, that our love can be extended in a very remote, safe, sterile way. And by far, I do not mean so much geographical distances, although they might also play a role, but keeping a spiritual and emotional distance where we can all behave towards each other in a polite and very civil way once a week on Sunday morning, perhaps. It's not that difficult. Smiling even at those whose ideas we find somewhat wacky, or whose manners irritate us, or whose positions on various subjects we totally object to, of course we can suppress that for a short time that we spend together. Because in a couple hours, at most, we'll be out of these doors and we can love them all in general. Except, if we're really honest, we know this is not love. This is civility, which is not a bad thing in itself. But we should not fool ourselves that this is anything like the love which Paul was speaking about when he was writing to the church in Rome. He was writing to a community which to a large extent lived together meeting as often as they could, sharing food, time, and at least for some of them, the living space. When we flip through the pages of the New Testament, we see it all over and over again. This is how these early Christian communities lived. Community was their reality. This was their new family, the new brothers, sisters, father and mother. But as they lived in close proximity, not just geographically, but emotionally, spiritually, they certainly weren't free from conflicts and arguments. Again, we know that the New Testament is very honest about it. They couldn't be free from conflicts because they lived close enough to each other, rubbing shoulders, spending spending enough time with each other so that the masks had to fall off. You can't keep them all, all the time. And here's the thing. Conflicts can be an indication that there is real love. Any place which is devoid of argument and tension may be a place where there's no love. We're just too far from each other to bother. Civility, yes. Personal interests that happen to overlap, yes. A pleasant place to spend some time together, outside of home, singing nice music and getting a bit of socializing, yes. But love, sooner or later, brings conflicts. It does, it has to. Because conflicts mean we are sufficiently open and honest with each other to express what is important to us, what hurts us. What do we disagree about? So I would say, let's not be afraid of conflict as such. I do not know you well enough as a church yet. I don't know if there are any conflicts at the moment, if there have been some in recent past which still hurt, if there are memories of some big disagreement long past, there is some tension brewing and waiting to erupt somewhere soon. If there is, it's best not to try to suppress it and to cover it up. It's much better to face it because this might be the first sign that you are living close enough, close enough to hurt each other. And this is what life and community is. And what the risk of joining an authentic community is all about. But even as I say that I remember some conflicts in my home church which have scarred me deeply and nearly made me abandon the whole idea of a Christian community. So I'm not saying this lightly. I was really finding it extremely difficult, nearly too difficult. Maybe you have experienced something similar. Maybe you still hurt from some conflict in some church. I know about that. Again, this is the danger and the risk of a community. Conflicts can be handled badly. And the damage they do can be really disastrous. And this is where the gospel reading, I think, is coming to our help. It's one of those passages of Jesus that is so well known and so little practiced. We have already read the text, you'll probably remember. It starts with saying that if your brother or sister sins against you, If you have anything against them, first of all, you go and point out their fault when the two of you are alone. Not pretend that nothing has happened or that you are above it. If it has hurt, if you perceive something as unjust, go and talk. Go and talk to them directly. Find out how they have seen that situation and be reconciled. So simple and so difficult, isn't it? Probably we all agree it's such a good idea. And maybe you are one of those rare churches that really practices all the time. But so, so often the temptation to go and vent with somebody else provides just too great. And then the next thing we know it's eventually the person who offended us has heard of our complaint Once it had reached them, second, third, or fourth hand. I don't know if you have the same game for children as we have in Lithuania. It's called broken telephone, where you say something, and then the whole row keeps whispering it, and at the end usually comes out something rather different from what you have whispered to the first person. Well, by the time your complaint reaches your brother or sister, your offender, the chances of the broken telephone effect are huge. And what you have on your hand is a sister or brother furious about what you've said. Only what they think you've said is only half true. And it will be quite, quite a scramble to explain to them what you did really say. And the chances that he or she will still want to listen to your complaint by now are minimal. Have you been there? I have. What Jesus says is really, really simple. Go and talk to the one who has offended you. If they do not listen, if they do not see any problem with what they've said or done, if you cannot really resolve it between just the two of you, bring one or two others. Enlarge the circle just a little bit. Now, here, as in many other instances, instances, attitudes matter. You don't bring them as your fellow accusers, but as witnesses. Witnesses whose task is to report faithfully what they see and hear on both sides. The purpose of this is reconciliation, being reconciled, not getting a proof that I was right, and he or she was wrong. This is the concept of winning in a Christian conflict. Not to prove that I was right, but to be reconciled. And when that happens, we can give God the praise. If your offender still refuses to deal with all of you, with this little circle, or insists that they have done nothing wrong, if they're more than willing to talk but they say they don't see the fault of their own, then it is time, Jesus says, to open the matter for the discernment of the whole community. What a responsibility. What an enormous responsibility and authority we have been granted as a church. To bind and to lose, says Jesus, in the name of our Lord. This is where the church comes together and discerns. Discerns what is right, discerns the way forward, discerns the way reconciliation must happen. There might be a discipline involved, but again, Its purpose will not be just to proclaim who was right and who was wrong, but to restore, to heal, to allow for new beginnings. And if we do such binding and losing really in the name of our Lord, we might be surprised. In fact, the church has often been surprised at what common mind they have discerned together. This crucial passage, Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20, sometimes they have been called the rule of Christ. And it has been suggested that this is one of the key practices for a community which wants to be a Christian community, not by name, but in essence. It takes seriously the fact that whenever the disciples of Jesus will be rubbing their shoulders... Tensions and conflicts will arise. And then they need to show and practice their love for each other in the way they deal with these tensions and conflicts. It is a defining feature of a church. Can it be abused? Sure, pretty much like any other instruction in the Bible. Probably we've all met people who were all too eager to go and point out everybody else's sin. And then there are communities who somehow lose the intent of this practice, the restorative intent of this practice, and become places of condemnation and fear. Following the letter of this practice will not save us from going wrong. It requires hard work, and not just once, but continually as the circumstances change, as we face new challenges, and then we find out that we perceive the same challenges and circumstances in a different way, and we wish different reactions. And therefore we need to talk, to argue, to discuss, and then to discern the mind of Christ together. In doing that, we will need to be watching for our motives. We'll need to be attentive to our emotions as well as our words. We'll need to be mindful how what we are doing affects everybody in our community. But without this basic practice, there is no church. As simple and as scary as that. As I was thinking about these words, I also checked yesterday what others are going to struggle with this morning. And this is what one of the pastors wrote. It's very difficult, but it's worth it. Because when you find it, it's like discovering a little bit of heaven on earth. That is, it's like experiencing the reality of God's communal fellowship and existence in your midst. And As Jesus promises, when you gather in this way, with honesty and integrity, even when it's hard, amazing things can happen, because Jesus is with you, right there, in your very midst, forming and being formed by your communal sharing. Even more can be said. It can be said, and has been said indeed, that this is how the church grows. In other words, it's not just about the way of dealing with conflicts. But as the church discerns the mind of Christ together, it often appears that the truth was not with me or my offender. But in fact, by talking it through, we came to see a new perspective. And now, as the church, we're willing to adopt a new practice. And even more, whether we want it or not our practicing this rule of christ or not practicing will be witnessed by the watching world when we do it it can be a powerful witness to those who are skeptical if not adverse to christianity see how they forgive each other see how they resolve their conflicts See how they love each other. This is how we tell the story of God and the world which God so loved. We tell anyone who has ears to listen, eyes to see, that what God is doing is creating a covenant community in which the loving relationships are the outworking of people's obedience to the reconciliation worked for them by God. This is how salvation becomes evident. Visible, not only as something which will become real in the next life, but our relationship transformed, our attitudes changed right here, right now. A foretaste of God's kingdom. So yes, true love, true community will inevitably bring conflicts. That we have to be prepared for, unless we want a cheap substitute of a social club where smiles, as well as love, are fake. But in that case, let us not fool ourselves that we belong to a Christian community. Love is the fulfilling of the law, and as such, it will be costly. It will ask us to open our hearts and dare to be vulnerable. And in our anger about an injustice that has been inflicted upon us, it requires us to desire not retribution or confirmation that we were right, but forgiveness and reconciliation. When it does not work, when one of the parties to a conflict decides to walk away rather than submit to the discipline of the church discerned together, then the church is sad it is sad, it doesn't shrug shoulders and say, well, we were right. It is to such love that we are invited and it is such love which is witnessed whenever we gather around the table, whenever we share the bread and the wine. Otherwise, without that reality, without that practice, we risk reducing this to an empty ritual. But otherwise, this table is an invitation to once again commit to practice this rule, to practice such love, costly love, and keep learning from the one who showed it in his very life the one who is our life and truth and grace. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Amen.
4: Let us bring our prayers to God for others. Lord, we come before you, gathered in your name, seeking the love to which you have called us. If love is the fulfilling of the law, show us the law of your love, the rule of Christ, that we may extend it to our immediate community, to our community within this city called Glasgow, to our community within Scotland, and the greater United Kingdom, and indeed to our worldwide community. But Lord, as we think of all these communities, we confess to a heavy heart. Our world's news weighs oppressively, despairingly upon us, particularly in these last weeks. We hear increasingly of the marauding advances and brutality in Syria and northern Iraq. And we shudder at the atrocities and the seeming lack of humanity and love that takes place in the name of over fired religion. We hear of the ongoing destruction and strife buried deeply in history and ethnicity between Israel. And Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. And we wonder if resolve can ever be possible. We watch as old Cold War antagonisms are once again stoked as a result of conflict in the Ukraine. And we fear a steady slide into yet another major geopolitical standoff within Europe with vast military implications. We witness other flashpoints of extremism on our television screens repeatedly, other areas of disorder and adversity. And we can't help but ask where are the communities in which love thrives? How can love override such entrenched hatred? How can love conquer the prevalence of such warring spirits? Teach us, Lord, not to despair. Teach us how to build communities of hope, of forgiveness, of selflessness, of charity. This is our plea or cry in the face of what seems like such intense global uncertainties. We can begin with our own family community, and we ask you now to give us the power in the small, local situations, even within this very community, in which there may be strife and conflict, festering, going unspoken, or with a long, long history we ask that you bring us the rule of Christ here. Not to resolve every conflict forever, but to let love reign even amidst that conflict. If we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, let our neighborly love begin within our own family. But let that love then be the kind that will transpose itself to a global reach. We don't know if this can be possible because we struggle within our own localities. Yet we hold on to the hope that your love is greater than all, that your love extends beyond all boundaries, and that somehow, in your limitlessness, your love will overcome may we in all our frailty and short-sightedness find our way into that limitless love. You taught us to pray as a community, and so we pray now collectively the prayer you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. thy kingdom come,
2: Let us go in peace as one people and as the loved community of Jesus. And the blessing of God, our creator, our redeemer and our sustainer be with us now and always.